So often you'll ask a question and it ends in a question mark. It's like, you know, what year was the War of 1812? 1812? Like, no, 1812. Say it in the affirmative, say it like you know it. Be confident in your answer. you know, questions in and question marks, answers don't. And, and having confidence in your answer will inspire others around you, okay, to be confident in your knowledge as well. So we'll do some things sometimes where we ask group questions, right? And I'll say, okay, if you think this is the answer, raise your hand. If you think this is the answer, raise your hand. And it's always funny. If there's somebody in the class, like they all look to the one kid that they think is really smart. And if he's like shooting his hand up in the air, they're all like, yep, me too, right? But if he if he kind of wavers and he goes slow and he has that look on his face and they're all like, I don't know. And then you get where like they raise their hand on both questions. <laughs> it's this, that's gotta be either one. I know I'm batting 50, 50 here. So <laughs> Paul wanted Timothy to have confidence in the knowledge that he had about Jesus. When he was sharing that with other people, he wanted him to stand firm in his convictions and the testimony that he had about Jesus. We refer to this testimony oftentimes as the gospel. Right? And the gospel isn't just good news. You've heard me say it before. It's the best news. And as the church, we have a duty to share that with other people. But oftentimes what happens is we get really timid about the knowledge that we have, about the gift and the grace that we have been given by God. And so we don't want to outwardly share that. And we kind of, people ask us questions and we kind of do the thing where we like halfway raise our hand. Right? We don't dive in with both feet. We're not confident in what it is that we know. Listen to this, 2 Timothy 1, 7 through 12. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but, it ge- but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about your Lord or me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us or to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality, not immorality, he didn't bring that, to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame. Because I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. So if we need to know anything, it's this. The gospel is nothing to be timid about. It's nothing to be reserved about. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's nothing that we need to sit here and question. The gospel is good, and it's pure, and it's true, and it's meant to be shared. But the struggle to do that is real. And I think if we're honest, we all kind of experience this in our lives in different ways. Paul clearly thought that Timothy needed the encouragement, okay, to remain faithful to his task, to remain faithful to the testimony that he had. If we're honest, and if we're honest with ourselves, we're honest with everybody else, we all have times in life that we grow weary of walking faithfully to the task that God has put in front of us. We all have those times. I've been open. I'm kind of in one of those seasons right now where for whatever reason, it's just not the easiest thing for me to walk faithfully in all that God has told me that I should do. We all struggle at times to come to church. We struggle to go to small group. We struggle to read our Bible. We struggle to pray. But God has given us three tools, and we're going to talk about those tools today. He's given us three tools to combat that struggle. 
Three things that we must do if we are to remain faithful to our task. Three things that we are to do if we do not want to be timid about the gospel, the gift of grace that we have been given. And the first is this. The first thing that God has given us is power. Power. Now, literally, this is otherworldly power. This is God-given power. This is literally having God within us. I don't think we understand it full enough. I don't think we fully can grasp exactly what happens here when we accept Christ as our Savior and when we have been given this grace and when we experience the gospel. We literally have the power of God resting within us. And we must rely on God and His strength to get us through in those times where we feel weary to the task at hand. Romans 8.15 says, The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. God freed us from being weary. God freed us from being afraid. God freed us from not having the courage to tell others about who He is and what He has done. That power is within us. We have to learn to grasp it and hold on to it and use it to fight those times when we feel like, I don't really want to do this. I'm not strong enough to do this. And to that I would say, you're probably not on your own. But with the power that God gives us when we are adopted into His sonship, when we literally become His children, when we have that power, there should be nothing that gets in our way. The issue is that a lot of times we don't rely on that. We start to struggle. And I, I was telling the other elders this today. We're talking about um, just kind of some of the things mentally that I've been struggling with lately. That when I deal with those things, instead of relying on the power of God, what I tend to do is circle the wagons. Right? I circle up. I draw in. I don't share. I don't talk about it. If I talk about it or I share it, then I have to deal with it. Then I have to get into feelings. And who wants to do that? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, really. Like, when you can just avoid it, why, why overcome an issue? Now, that's not healthy. In case you was wondering, I'm being facetious. Facetious. I'm not being serious right now. Okay, so what I mean by that is, like, we literally have to rely on the power to overcome these times in our life. That is what's important. That's the right attitude. It's to say, God, I'm struggling right now. Power me through this. Help me through this. Show me the way. I need to lean into you. Will you help me get through it? Will you walk me through this? We're no longer slaves to fear. We are sons and daughters of God. And when he adopted you into that sonship, he gave you the power that he contains. Acts 1, 7 through 8. And he said to them, this is when the apostles were asking Jesus right above, as he's about to ascend, hey, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Like at this time, is this when we're going to, Everything's going to be the way that, you know, Scripture promises it. And this is what he tells him. He says, it's not for you to know the time or dates that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, God doesn't just give us power so that we can do whatever we want with it. Right? He doesn't just give us this power so we can yield it however we want in life. He gives us this power for a purpose. Shocking, right? That God would give us a gift for his purpose. But he gives us a power for his purpose so that we will share what it is that we know about him. So we will share the gospel. Just as he tells them that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. 
Maybe he's telling you that you will be my witnesses in Aurora Republic in Springfield. Right? We don't always think that like we're supposed to do that. We, we think a lot of times on this grand scale, because that's how we see it in the Bible, things were happening at such a large scale that these people were going and they were teaching entire nations. And if we're not teaching entire nations, then maybe we're just not, we're not supposed to be or we're not doing what it is that God really wants us to do because we have to be bigger and we have to be better and we have to match the scale of the Bible. But that's not always the case. That's not always the case. Maybe God is just telling you that you're to be his witness in your neighborhood or in your apartment complex or at your job. And he has equipped you with the power to do that. We just have to rely on that. The second tool that he gives us or the second gift that he gives us, maybe this one I'll look at as more as a gift, is love. Now this is the love of God. We all think that we know what love is, okay? We listen. If you have a child, they always talk about how like you think you know what love is until you have a child, and you see that child, and there's something about it. Before you have a child, you're like, yeah, whatever. I love plenty of people, but there's just something about it that's different, right? Like there's something about it that's like that's my kid, that's part of me that came from. I have to protect them. I have to fight for them. I have to. It's just different. But the love that God has for us is so complex and so above anything that I think we can truly grasp, that sometimes we don't allow it to transform us and change us the way that it's meant to. See, the love that Christ showed us, it's all-encompassing. And it's a love that once it's understood, it changes us. Once we fully grasp the love that Christ has shared, it changes something within us. It literally makes us different beings. And it's this love that should inspire us to want others to experience this love. So we're given the power of God, and then we're loved by God in a way that no one else in history has been loved, except for those that have been loved by God. And we're supposed to take those two things together and say, I want others to experience that love. The power that God has given me and the love that he has shown me, others need that. It's supposed to be transformational. It's supposed to change us. It's supposed to inspire us to be different, to do different things. It's a love that should inspire us to spread the gospel. Right? Because we have experienced this love, we want to share it with others. First John 4.18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. There's no room for us to be timid about the gospel when we have been loved by God. Why? Because God's love drives out fear. It drives it away. 1 John 5.3, in fact, this is love for God to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. See, when you experience the love of God and when you truly love God back, you don't see the things that he's commanded us to do as a burden. You don't see the commands that he's given us as something that uh, ruins our life or makes our life more difficult. We see fulfilling those commands as an act of love in return. Look at this love that God has given me. Look at this love that Christ has shown me. It's like something I've never experienced. To reciprocate that love, I will follow the commands that God has set out. We don't allow ourselves to look at those things and say, you know, I know I should share the gospel, but golly darn it, it's tough. I just don't like talking to people. And, you know, it's real, I'm an introvert, and uh, hey, that's the way God made me, and so I'll just keep it all inside. Is that a good, good, good voice, wasn't it? Um, we're not meant to be that way. 
We're not meant to behave that way. John 15, 9 and 10, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Well, what is that command? Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's the command. Use this power. Use this love. Go make disciples. And understand that I am with you always. This love that you have experienced, this power that you have been given, it remains with you. Why? Because I'm always there. That's the command. We have no room to be timid about the gospel, the good news, the best news that we have obtained. We must use what God has given us to share with others. Now, the third tool that God gives us, the third gift however you want to look at it, is really practical, and I love it. It's super-duper practical, and that's self-discipline. The third is self-discipline. 1 Timothy 4.7, Have nothing to do with godless myths or old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Train yourself to be godly. I think that this is something that the church overall has not done a very good job with in our history. We look at Jesus and we look at the just godly act that he did. This just otherworldly, unimaginable forgiveness of sins that was obtained through us by his death on a cross and him being resurrected. And it's, it's almost magical. And, and because that's the case, a lot of times we expect like that's how God is always going to work. I'm going to accept Jesus as my Savior, and then everything's just going to fall into place. And it's just going to happen. Right? Like Thanos and Endgame. Snap his fingers, and all of a sudden, we're holy. Here's the thing. The things that God obtains, we're forgiven in an instant. We are justified in an instant. And these things happen... Like that because Jesus has obtained them. Okay? Jesus has accomplished them. So the things that Jesus has accomplished, yes, they happen just like that. We are instantly forgiven. We are instantly justified. But to become holy is a process. And you know what? It requires practice. That's where self-discipline comes in. It requires practice. It takes time for us to build healthy habits. We have to practice prayer. We have to practice studying the Bible. We have to practice evangelizing. We have to practice forgiveness. We have to practice patience and kindness and loving our enemies. These are not things that come naturally to a sinful spirit. And so if we hope to be able to do these things and to do them well, then we have to practice them. It just doesn't instantaneously happen. And so often I think we pray for things like, God, give me a desire for you. God, give me a desire for the word. Give me a desire for a better prayer life. Give me uh, patience, which my mom always said, don't ask for that because then it'll give you plenty of practice. 
right? But give me all these things, and then we don't actually want to practice or work to obtain them. Like somehow it's just going to happen, and, and it doesn't happen that way. And the church has done everyone a disservice and leading to the belief that somehow it just all magically takes place. The people, at least in my life, that you would look at and say they are the closest to God. They have a really strong prayer life. They're at church all the time when they can be. They're studying their word all the time. They're doing the things that we look at and we say, that's what a believer should be. They've gotten to those places because they practice at it. They pray when they really don't want to. They study their Bible because they know they should. Right? Sometimes the desire isn't there, but they know that they are supposed to be in their word, and so they go to their word. They go to church. Even when they've worked all week and they're super tired and they don't really want to do it. They forgive people when it's extremely difficult. Why? Because they recognize that God has forgiven them and then because that is the case, they should do that for others. They try really hard to be patient. And as they practice these things, these things become habits. Good, healthy habits. And as life goes on, they don't seem to be so burdensome anymore and they don't seem to become so difficult. It's just who they are in God. It's what they are supposed to do. It's the character that has been foundationally set within them. As believers, we have to have self-discipline. We have to practice. It doesn't just happen like magic. And so we rest in these three things. We understand that we have been given the power of God, that we are loved in a way that completely transforms our character, our desires, and the way we see the world. And then we practice as much as we can the healthy habits that we as believers are supposed to have. And through those three things, we keep ourselves from being timid about the gospel that God has given us. We keep ourselves from being weary of sharing our testimony or not being confident in what it is that God has done for us. And it just shouldn't be that way. Philippians 3, 10 through 15. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What's he saying here? I practice. I push forward. I look to obtain my goals. And I'm going to do that regardless of what has happened to me in the past. Rest in God's power. Be changed by his love. And practice healthy habits. Pray. Read your Bible. Get involved in a small group. Come to church. Do the things that God wants you to do.
whatever he is calling you to do. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now. I thank you for this day. I thank you for the power and the love that you have given us that should change us inside and out. I thank you for the practical advice you give us to practice these things, to to try to strive daily to reach that goal and obtain that end prize. God, I ask you that uh, you would give us all the courage and the strength and the wisdom to walk in our day-to-day lives in the way that you would have us do so. And yes, Lord, give us a hunger to be in your word and give us a, a thirst for a good prayer life and just convict us to get involved in the local church and to be servants the way that you want us to be servants. But Lord, move our feet. Move our feet. Because it's not enough to just desire these good things, but we have to do them as well. The church is not ashamed of the gospel, and the gospel is this, that God so loved the world that he gave his son, and that Jesus went to the cross willingly and died for our sins. He was crushed for our our iniquities, And, and three days later, he rose from the grave. He conquered death, and in doing so, he conquered death for all of us. And if we have experienced the gift of that grace, and we know what it is to live in a relationship with Jesus, How dare us not share that with other human beings? Lord, take away any fear that we may have to live our lives as just an outward expression of who you are. Give us the boldness required to be believers of Christ. We ask for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.